scripture reading this evening comes from Luke 11, 1-4. I'll be focusing on the last phrase of the Lord's Prayer as recorded in Luke, and lead us not into temptation. But hear then the word of the Lord, beginning with Luke 11, 1. It happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord God, we pray that you would not lead us into temptation. And Lord God, this evening as we focus on this phrase of the Lord's Prayer here, that you would open our eyes and ears to understand and to apply. Help me, O Lord God, as I present your word. And might you be gracious, O God, to bless it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Temptation's a scary thing. It rarely knocks at your door and says, Hi, I'm your next temptation. So, get ready, here I come. It's not quite that obvious. Instead, it's more like that inappropriate magazine that someone threw by the roadside and you just happen to come upon. It's that revealing pullover sweater that's on sale in your favorite color. Or you've had a hard week at work and you've been looking forward to Fellowship Sunday. And you walk in... And your best friend makes some kind of comment, whether it was intended or not, just comes across wrong. And all your expectations sort of crash in front of you. Well, stop and think for a minute the last time that you were seriously tempted. And the last time that you surrendered when you were seriously tempted. And now you know why Jesus taught us to pray in Luke 11.4 and lead us not into temptation. James tells us to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, I'm going to reference a number of times here. This word temptation is also translated trials. Sometimes it's a noun, sometimes it's an adjective, sometimes a verb. But it's used in a lot of different places, and I'll mention a number of those tonight. But here, Jesus says, pray, lead us not in the temptation, tells us to pray, lead us not in the temptation. And then James, using the very same uh, Greek word, says, consider it all joy, my brother, and you encounter various trials or various temptations. Is that a contradiction? I mean, what, what's going on? It sort of ties our brains in a knot. Some think the phrase, and lead us not in temptation, means that God must be the prime mover behind all temptation. 
And yet James, again, in the first, in his, the first chapter, verse 13, says, No one says when he is tempted, same word, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Same root word. Others interpret this to mean that whoever truly prays, lead us not into temptation, that God will miraculously lead them away from all temptation. I don't agree with that interpretation. But how are we to understand this? What does it mean when we pray, lead us not into temptation? Well, a quick overview of the Lord's Prayer that we've covered over a period of months. Jesus' disciples noticed that John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray. And so one of them asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John has taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus responded with what we call the Lord's Prayer. Actually, technically, the Lord's Prayer is John 17. That's his prayer that he prayed. This is actually our prayer, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. Because he taught it to us. Now, it's slightly different than Matthew and Luke, or there's a difference between them, as it's recorded in the Gospels. That shouldn't be a problem. Jesus probably taught this to his disciples and various disciples at different times. We tend to standardize it, and so when, when we read a different uh, rendition, in another gospel, we tend to get all upset and say, uh-oh, did Jesus contradict himself? Well, no, he didn't. The essence of it is still the same. The fact that he uh, taught it slightly differently in different places uh, should not be an issue for us. But the prayer begins, Father. Now, that's very unique because no individual, no individual ever prayed before using that personal address in this way. So this was very unique when Jesus taught them that. Father, it sets our relationship to God and expresses honor and glory and reverence. It reflects the intimacy of the relationship that we have with Him and it shows His personal concern for us. And all, all the positive things about Father is poured in to this phrase. It says, But Father, hallowed be your name. The name of God is synonymous with God's person. So hallowed comes from the Greek word agiazo. It can be translated holy. It means to set apart, to consecrate. And that's why I... I I'm not, I don't like the phrase, you hear people say, well, you know, we have this relationship with uh, God and we call him Abba Father. And you hear people pray, dear daddy. That just doesn't sit well with my ears. And I, I don't think it's just a generational thing. Daddy does not carry with it the hallowedness, the reverence, the set-apartness that father does. Father is a very intimate term, but it also carries with it 
that idea of, of worship. This is the one that we come before to worship, to hallow, to set apart, to consecrate above and beyond anyone else in the whole of the universe. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We're instructed to pray that God's rule would be manifested on earth through us as we walk in obedience to Him. Pastor Wagner was talking about this morning, excellent message, talking about what does it mean to be led by the Spirit. There's a lot of Christian mysticism out there that gets poured into what it means to be led by the Spirit. Sadly, I think many times it's interpreted almost as follow your emotions. Well, in the same passage that he was preaching out of in Galatians 5.17, it warns us not to follow our emotions. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are in opposition to one another. Therefore, we cannot do what we please. We cannot just follow our emotions. But we, we are led by the spirit. We follow God. We work for his kingdom to come as we walk in obedience to his word. And then having focused on the first priority, the glory of God, Jesus turns to our needs in verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. It's a request for God to meet all of our physical needs, even as we recognize total dependence on him. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who, has, who is indebted to us. Here we address our greatest spiritual need. We need forgiveness. While forgive us, for, or for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, sets the attitude of humility and contriteness that should characterize our walk. We are a child of the King. We are redeemed. We are the inheritors of all that God is preparing for us. But it's by grace. And that should give a tremendous humility to it because we're receiving something we didn't earn. So we walk with a contriteness through our lives. And that brings us to the last phrase in Luke's uh, Lord's Prayer here, and lead us not into temptation. The first thing this phrase does is it warns us. It warns us. <coughs> Jesus is well aware of our pride. He's just instructed us in humility toward those who sin against us. And now he concludes with a direct exhortation for us to be fully aware of our own spiritual weakness and need. And lead us not into temptation. Anyone who sincerely seeks God's forgiveness longs to avoid sin. When, when we comprehend just a little bit, and I don't 
really think we're able to comprehend the fullness of what took place on the cross. But Pastor Wagner described for us the agony of the cross. But the physical agony, and I don't mean this in, in the wrong way, but the physical agony of the cross was really not the primary issue. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father with whom he had an eternal relationship. The Father with whom he never had a disagreement. The Father whose will he had come to do. The Father whose will, in John 17, he had just said, Father, I have accomplished all that you have given me to do. Now glorify me with the glory which I had before the creation. And now, moments later, not moments, but not long after, he's hanging on the cross crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me? That was the agony of the cross. And when we understand that, and we understand that that's what it took to forgive us, to that extent, we will want to avoid and flee all sin. If you take a sloppy approach to obedience, saying, well, I know it's sin, but God's a forgiving God. Or maybe a phrase like, well, I know it's wrong, but we have an understanding God, a loving God. If we use those phrases, even if we use them just to ourselves, we're in trouble. Because it shows a gross lack of what it means to be a Christian and to be forgiven. The Apostle Paul warns us in Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Jesus warns us in Matthew 4-7, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so Jesus warns us, lead us not into temptation. He warns us against a spiritual carelessness, a spiritual sloppiness in our walk. Second, this phrase warns us against pride. How many times have you said something along the lines that, I mean, you, you, you know you're playing on the edge of the cliff. And you say, I, I can handle this. And then you slip. And you're over the cliff. And you're saying, I oh, can't believe I did it again. Well, that, that's a pride. That's a pride. Ends up ensnaring us. The request shouts at us. Don't underestimate the power of sin. Don't think that sin is passive and that you can walk away from it whenever you want. Young people, listen to me. Please listen to me. You're just starting out in your Christian walk if you love the Lord. And it is tempting to think that you've got the world by the tail. That even though others have, have played around, toyed around, been careless, 
and didn't get away with it. Somehow, you are going to be able to do that. You'll be able to tempt sin and turn and walk away. Do not think that you can do that. You cannot play or toy with sin. That attitude... Let, let me ask you, young people. How, I'll ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have seen a picture of a grizzly bear? Yeah. I've seen them in... Well, I've seen one or two in the wild. But I've seen them in cages and stuff. And they, they sit out there and you know they're big and they're fuzzy and they sort of lumber along. And, you know, playing with sin is kind of like saying, oh, that grizzly sure looks cute. Why, he's so big and he's cuddly and he's fuzzy. And look at the cubs, how they roll around playing with each other. Why, he just looks so pettable. Right. Try rubbing his ears the way you rub your dog's ears. And after he has chewed on you for a while, I suspect you may have a different opinion. But the danger is done, isn't it? Now, thankfully, we have a forgiving God. We have a forgotten God who puts our sin as far as east is from the west. But a lot of people carry a lot of scars. And a lot of people have memories that pop into their minds at the most inappropriate time. Because they did not heed the warning. And they did not pray with all diligence. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus said, don't mess with sin. You'll always lose. Always. Solomon says of the sin of adultery in Proverbs 6.27, Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not to be burned? Young people, do you see the imagery there? Can you imagine picking up those hot coals when you're out camping and you've got a shirt on and, and, and you take a shovel and you, you dump them in your, into your shirt and you hold them? Can you imagine doing that and your shirt not burning? No, you can't imagine that. Because hot coals burn. Solomon said, sin is that way. You take it into your bosom, it's going to burn your clothes. It's going to affect you. You can't just walk away like you might think. Again, in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. That means if you're proud or you're haughty, that's what precedes the fall. That's when we get careless. And we go where we ought not to go. The Apostle Paul warned in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. Lest that he does not fall. So lead us not into temptation. Warns us against pride. And it warns us against spiritual sloppiness. But this phrase also encourages us. 
If we pray, lead us not into temptation and do our part in avoiding sin, if we're working hard to avoid sin, does that mean and, and you wind up being tempted, even though you've been praying hard and working hard? Does that mean that God didn't hear you? No, there's no need for insecurity. Does it mean that you lack enough faith to pray effectively? No. You don't need to despair. Does it mean that God is upset with you and is punishing you? No. There's no need for timidity before God. Does it mean there is just something wrong with you spiritually? No. There's no need for fear or hopelessness. No, 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 and no. Not if you have prayed and are seeking to avoid sin. Now, we never do that perfectly. God understands that. He knew that when he gave us the passage. But if we're trying and working at avoiding sin, and we still wind up being tempted, what does that mean? Well, it means that God in his sovereignty has judged you able to resist that particular temptation by sin, and he is allowing it into your life to strengthen and teach you. Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing, same word, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He's saying, listen, we, we live in a fallen world. So even when you work hard at avoiding temptation, even when you pray diligently that God would not lead you into temptation, in God's all-wise, mysterious ways, there are times He allows temptation into our presence. Now, I don't understand all that. There are some things that are simply in the mind of God that we won't understand until we see Him face to face, and then we might not fully understand it, simply because He is, will always be God and we will always be the Creator. We are always finite and He is always infinite. But God promises that no temptation has overtaken you, and these are the same words here, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. So in, in those times when you don't understand, the thing you want to remember is, God is faithful. He is still with you. And He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with that temptation will provide also a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God's promise to you and to me is He is faithful. He will provide. You will be able to endure it. So, on the one hand, you have lead me not into temptation. On the other hand, you have times when you are led into temptation. How do you connect those two? I think you connect them the same way you connect the concept of the Trinity with our finite minds. You connect them by faith. Faith in a God that is so far beyond us. 
We can't understand how all the dots are connected. But we can understand enough about the God who connects the dots to be able to rest secure. And that's why James can say, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Same word. So how how can I do that? Well, first you have to trust that God is still in control. That life hasn't spun out of control. The Lord is still enthroned. And your understanding of what God is doing is not the ultimate judge of whether it's right or wrong. So you hold, cling to his promises, you cling to who he is, and you trust him, that he loves you, and that he's working to strengthen your faith. James 1, the following verse, says, Knowing, we consider it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So now you find yourself in the midst of that temptation. You're trusting God. You say, okay, Lord, I, I, I don't understand this. This is a mystery to me. But I'm going to trust you. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I'm going to walk by faith. But Lord, I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do. And that's when we need to go on to the fifth verse in James 1 that says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's God's promise. That even though we're walking to a trial we don't fully understand. It's kind of like following a road map. How many times have, have you been on vacation or, or you've been driving somewhere and you don't have the foggiest idea where you are? Well, what do you do? Now, young people, stick with me here. I know. You grab your cell phone, Google it, and there it is. Well, stay with me. You pull out a map, a good old paper, <coughs> paper printed map that you don't need buttons, you just need fingers and able to count. <laughs> but what's the point? The point is you don't know wh- where you are, but how do you get through it? You follow the map that God gives you. You follow his word by faith, and lo and behold, you pull up in front of your friend's house, and it's the right place. You made it. Because you followed the Lord's map. You trusted His Word. You trusted the Spirit to lead you. You trusted who God was. And He got you where you needed to be. And lead us not into temptation. Encourages us. Because we know when we're seeking to walk with God that He hears our prayers. That means whenever temptation, whatever temptation He allows into our lives, He allows it for a good and necessary purpose. 
It takes faith to believe that. But as we pray, lead us not into temptation. We can, in fact, trust his sovereign decision, even if we don't fully understand it. Closing reflections. And lead us not into temptation is a warning against moral sloppiness and pride in our Christian walk. Two, it's an encouragement to know that what temptation does come our way is allowed by a God who loves us and cares for us and has our best intent in mind. And three, so we pray diligently, lead us not into temptation because temptation is a dangerous thing. But when it comes, accept God's plan and rejoice that He will sustain you and He will grow you through it. Father, Lord God, we confess that there is much about life that we simply do not understand. There are many circumstances in life, Lord, that we find very frustrating. When we think to ourselves, Father, I have been working so hard at my Christian walk. I've been praying for humility. I've been praying for wisdom. I've been praying for strength. I've been praying that you would not lead me into temptation. And yet, Father, we find ourselves faced with temptation. Oh, God, grant us that encouragement to know that even then you are in control. And you will meet all our needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you will lead us safely through it. But Father, we do pray and we do plead that you would keep us from spiritual sloppiness. From spiritual pride. That so often disarms us. And gets us into trouble. We ask in Jesus' name.